Welcome everyone. May the fourth be with you. Welcome to Order of Operations. Today is episode two and we are talking about the fundamentals of new leadership. Before we get started, I just wanted to reintroduce myself. I'm Nikki Atwood and I am joined here by my co-host and friend, Miss Libby Lossing. Hey y'all! Order of Operations is officially by Coastal. I'm back in San Diego at the Lossing Enterprises headquarters, whereas Nikki is in Virginia, where Temple Venture operates. If you are new here, first off, welcome. Second, allow us to reintroduce ourselves and our podcast. Yes, Order of Operations is a podcast created to discuss Libby and my favorite thing, which is business operations, professional development topics, and really just anything that strikes our fancy. Our podcast name is a play on words because we're both directors of operations for large portfolio multi-state franchisees with Mathnasium, the Math Learning Center, and we're big math nerds too. Yeah, so Nikki and I were both DOOs for two top 10 portfolio owners. Nikki leads 18 learning centers in Richmond, North Virginia, Virginia Beach, and Baltimore. And then I lead eight in San Diego, Phoenix, Arizona, and Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. We both have been with the company since 2013. So we have years of experience and we've been growing with this franchise for quite some time now. This is our new adventure together. And so we're really thankful that everyone has responded so positively so far. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of really nice emails, LinkedIn messages, texts from our peers, some social media shout outs. And all of that is way more positive feedback than we ever expected to receive from you guys. So thank you so, so much for being so supportive of us. Yeah. This next chapter, we are going to try and talk about leadership. There's a ton of different ways where we can dissect this and we can really dive in. But right now the news is talking about leading through a crisis, but I know that there are new leaders out there who are just trying to figure out what to do next. Today, we thought it would be good to focus on leadership from the perspective of somebody new who's just come into a position of authority in an established company. Yeah, Nikki and I both, we have a lot of experience as leaders, but we also have a lot of experience working with brand new teams because our companies, we both have histories of taking on resales. We have a lot of a lot of experience coming in where something's already pretty set up. There's already kind of the leadership pyramid. And then you're kind of rocking everyone's world coming in as that new point. Nikki, do you know off the top of your head about how many resales the Temple team has taken on over the years? We... Uh just hit the one year anniversary oh no two year anniversary for three of them and there were two more after that and there were there was one before that so six total six total nice so that's like one third of your portfolio is mm-hmm. is a resale location and then i'd say like three and a half of ours are resales so we took on two in arizona so mesa and queen creek those are both resales that we bought from a previous owner and then Allen, Texas, we bought from a previous owner. And then when I say half, where it's just like, how can you be like halfway a resale? We bought a magnesium that was closed for like a week before we reopened it. So we didn't take it. We didn't take the keys from somebody. We went and built out our own location. But there was very minimal time between when someone owned that territory and when we took over that territory. Resales give you, give you some experience on taking over an established company as a new leader. So we're going to break down this conversation into a couple different bullet points. 
which really is just the formula of what a good leader is. A good leader, they effectively communicate. They have a clear vision for their organization. They don't rely strictly on their authority to be able to lead their teams. They establish awesome connections with their peers and with their subordinates. They empower and enable their team to get the job done. And then technical knowledge, which is actually one of the bullet points that me and Nikki, we don't necessarily agree 100% on <laughs> where technical, technical knowledge plays in on being a great leader. Let's start out with exploring communication. Libby, tell us about how your transition went into leading with Mathnasium. I made the common mistake that I think a lot of leaders make, which is you just walk in and start. You just walk in and you start leading, but you don't necessarily take the time to get to know who who you're working with. You're kind of a blind leader at that point, which is, it's a huge disadvantage to being able to effectively run an organization is when you don't know who you got on your team. Yeah, I feel you there. Definitely made the same mistake myself. We want to be sure that nobody else makes this mistake too. Kind of piece of advice number one, whenever you're getting started with communicating with this team is you shouldn't just assume that the way that you like to be led is the way that your team likes to be led. And the number one way to uncover what, what makes your team tick is to do some introductory interviews. And by that, we don't necessarily mean you're going to re-interview someone and rehire them for that job, which it might be a direction that you, you take. But really, you need to get to know who, who you got on your team. So without risk of them potentially losing their job or not being rehired on the spot, you want to get to interview them to really get to know who they are. So that way you guys can work well together within your company. Libby, when we were talking earlier, you had a really great name for that, uh, entrance interviews. Nikki so kindly wrote out a couple really awesome questions that you can ask to some of your direct reports. So I don't want to steal the credit for this. In this initial meeting or this entrance interview, there's a couple really great questions that you can ask and it lets you have a starting point for a conversation with some of your new subordinates. First and foremost, what do you look for in a supervisor? Getting to establish what their expectation of you is as their new leader. Next, how do you manage your tasks? Getting to know how they have their work-life balance can help you lead them well because you don't want to step on their toes outside of your hours of operation. Getting to know their interests as a person, so asking them questions like, if money or expectations were not in the picture, what would you be doing with your life? Like, where would you find yourself? What is your dream job if money or technical training is not a factor? Then there's those idealistic questions like, imagine if you had a magic wand, what would your perfect job look like? Getting to know what makes them tick by asking, what are some of your favorite parts of the day? What are your least favorite parts of the day? Seeing where you can alleviate some burdens within reason from those team members, but also knowing like what, what are their highlights? What are their high points? What can you really maximize from them to increase the number of smiles they have on the job? And then Nikki, you also wrote out some one-on-one -on -one questions. Yes. And I try, I have good intentions to be really disciplined with my one-on-ones. So I have them scheduled every week or every other week. Just asking what's on your mind with this week. A lot of times you'll get different tasks or different projects that people are worried about, or they will just tell you about what's going on in their personal life. Either way, it helps you 
steer them in the right direction and helps you figure out what they need from you as well. Important question to ask as well is how happy were you with this past week? Um, Or how did you feel this past week? If you know it didn't go well, then you can just ask, how did you feel? And this is one where we tend to do it with the kids a lot as we are teaching them math, that metacognition of reflecting on what did they learn. And a lot of times people will, will just tell you what their roadblocks were, and then you can help figure out how to remove them. Along those lines, how productive were you this past week? And that one, you can get a good vibe of things are going okay or they're not, they're not going okay. I also like to ask, what was your frog or what is your frog? A productivity technique where you do the worst task, the one you're dreading the most, where you need to swallow the frog. <laughs> uh, that's that's your favorite expression. That's my favorite expression. I picked that up from my mom. My mom picked that up from Becky. Becky picked it up from another math museum franchisee. I don't remember which one. But swallowing the frog is the worst part <laughs> of my day. <laughs> but it helps so much. And so being able to help your team to swallow their frog. Well, one, recognize the frog. Figure out how big is it and then what they need to do to actually swallow it. Then <laughs> it's, a, it's a big help. Yeah. Um, And then there is another question that you should ask, but you have to be brave in order to do it. And I know a lot of my team likes to listen to this. And so they probably haven't heard me ask this, but it's good to say, what feedback do you have for me? And kudos to Radical Candor, because that is the book where I got the framework for this. And so I highly recommend that. I can't give enough importance to doing regular one-on-ones, especially with your direct reports. So for me and Nikki as directors of operations, that's going to be our regional directors and our center directors. Doing those check-ins is invaluable because you don't want things to pile up on your leadership teams without you being aware and being able to step in. I also think it's really important to say like, the questions that you picked are all questions that I can come up with like three examples of times that I asked those questions and it immediately mattered because stuff like how has this past week been? I'll ask that question and nine times out of 10, I'm implying at my learning center, like at my learning center, how has this week been? But if your center director and I have one that comes to mind, anytime I ask that question, it's almost always a personal thing that's going on. And that can distract you. If the first thing that comes to mind when I say, how's the week been? And it's not, oh, this person just enrolled. This person's membership needs to be renewed. This kid got a B on the test and that's their first B in a while. Like those kinds of answers. If instead it's, oh, my daughter's been really sick. My mom forgot to pick her up from soccer practice. So the coach called and yelled at me. Like those kinds of things. Like it's important to know like how clouded someone's head is because of their work-life balance, because it's not something that's unacceptable. People are human. You're going to hire human people that are relatable. But just knowing like where their head's at can really help you manage your expectations for others. Knowing feedback from your team, you do need to be brave. I would also say you need to be receptive. So don't ask that question unless you are ready to be slapped across the face with some some real gut-wrenching feedback. (laughs) You can't be defensive in those situations because that's an immediate way to burn trust. 
because your teammates can be like, what you, you asked, you asked me for my feedback. I gave you my honest feedback. And now I feel like you're angry at me that I, I provided you an honest answer. So if you're going to be brave enough to ask that question, be brave enough to take it on the nose. Awesome. So that is bullet point number one for a good leader is being able to effectively communicate with your team. Something that we didn't put in our our podcast notes, but I want to just toss in now really quick. You can communicate a lot of different ways. And I would say having multiple channels for your team to communicate with you is very, very important. Different people, depending on the demographic of your team, they're going to have preferred methods of communication. So I know Nikki and I, we text, we call, we email, we have the group chats. There's many, many ways that you can communicate with your team. And so just by knowing what, what makes it as seamless as possible to get information back and forth between you and your key players is going to be really important. I know my team relies heavily on GroupMe. Next, we're going to migrate on to clear vision. Yes. And this one I'm excited about because you mentioned something last week about Target 83. And there is a lot (laughs) going on in that small little phrase. And so I really want you to unpack it for us. In the last episode, we mentioned that we both invest a lot of our time in doing professional development. But something I failed to mention is that I've worked with a business coach for the last four years. Because since my business, my direct supervisor is my parents, I'd say that a lot of the times it's not the easiest to take professional feedback from a parent. So I work with a business coach. My business coach, Mike, and I, we talk a lot about mathnasium and scaling up my family's franchise portfolio. And then this analogy that he always likes to come back to is that if you want to make more lemonade, and in this case, lemonade equals revenue, if you want to make more lemonade, you can either get more lemons or you can squeeze more juice out of the lemons that you have. So I know that we will, with time, add more locations to our portfolio as like exciting opportunities become available. I anxiously await the day that I get to introduce number nine. But for now, all I can do is focus on the eight that we do have. And my goal is that all of our learning centers become million dollar locations. And I don't necessarily mean that literally, but heck, wouldn't it be great to have eight million dollar locations? So to make a million dollars in revenue annually, you need to maintain a average monthly revenue of $83,000 So Target 83, it's an acronym, and it's really my company's version of Mathnasium Corporate's eight success factors. In fact, the eight in Target 83 stands for eight success factors. So I'll break down the acronym, but I'll also post it on the order uh, of operation social media pages so that anyone who's really interested um, can go and take a look at what Target 83 stands for. We are at Order of Ops Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Target 83 The T in Target 83, it's to target pre-qualified audiences and to teach slash tell potential leads about our services. So that's really the marketing piece of our business. The A is to acquire new customers with a high conversion percentage. So there's no point in me spending all this money on marketing if you're not going (laughs) to close. R is to retain customers through exceptional customer service and experiences, referrals, and reviews. What's the point in getting them if you're not going to keep them in the door and you're not going to maximize maximize your customers. G is to grow and develop team members to their greatest potential. So we always believe in building our bench. I love internal promotions, as do you. You mentioned that in episode one, that your favorite thing is the internal promotion. And then E is to evaluate center performance. 
So your FBCs come through routinely. If you're in Mathnasium, your franchise business consultant will do annual or semi-annual checks in on your learning centers. I don't wait for my FBCs to come for me to constantly be evaluating my learning centers. It's something that we do regularly. The second T in Target 83 stands for tenacity. That is how I like to see my people work. I don't want you just to show up and wait for the opportunity to clock out. I want you to be aggressively working on whatever your goals are whenever you are at work. Eight in Target 83 is the eight success factors. And then three, it's really what you mentioned in the last podcast, those mission, vision, values Mm -hmm. that your company has. So we re-agree on those three every year because not that there's a lot of turnover every year, but your mindset or just your company goals might shift from time to time. So we reevaluate what the mission, vision, value of our organization is annually. And then that is what goes under the three for Target 83. Wow. And so did you come up with this with your coach and then deliver it to your team? How did this come about? He always asked me what I'm doing to hit my target of mm-hmm. 83. And I liked it. I thought it was clean. Everyone at Coke knows the Coke Mm -hmm. goal. Like Coke's goal as an organization, 2% of all beverages consumed are Coke products. Coke's goal is to fill the other 98%. And so it's clean and everyone knows it. And you might not be able to like recite it word for word, but you know what your goal is. For me, Target 83 is something that's just straightforward. Your goal is to make it a million dollar center. And there are very clear steps to become a winner. You don't hit a million dollars by accident. It's actually quite hard. There's only like four Mathnasium locations in our our global franchise that have broken the million dollar mark. But I can guarantee they do. We have to. Oh, you. Oh, excuse me. (laughs) Temple Ventures owns fifty percent of the million dollar centers. (laughs) I don't know if we do that. Now you know. I knew you had one. I wasn't going to call you out. I knew you had one. You have yeah. two. I mean, we did oh. until <laughs> the world um, had the pandemic. So we'll see where the, the chips fall after this. <laughs> okay, then you can attest that you don't hit a million dollars on accident. <laughs> so that's what Target 83 is. It's not something that people can necessarily recite. We have it as a poster that hangs inside everyone's mm-hmm. offices. But it's something that I do reference back to where if I feel like someone's off the mark on something, I'm like, that is the R in Target 83. If you aren't doing it, you're not doing all the things that go into becoming our ultimate goal of being million dollar centers. We have so we have something similar. We have company values. Um split the revenue target off though. And so there's specific revenue goals that each center has depending on the age of the center, how long the center's been part of the team, how the previous performance has been. There's a lot of like seasonality that goes into figuring out the goals as well. But then we have focused company values that we crowdsourced more it took a long time to come up with. I think it was a couple years of doing like word clouds at company retreats, having people fill out surveys. James and I just sticky noting and whiteboarding and writing draft after draft and figuring out the type of person and the type of team that we wanted to be working with and that we should be working with in order to be successful. So we have team company values. Everybody has a poster of them in their center. And they're focused on three big pieces, people, systems, and service. 
We look for people that treat everyone with respect, cherish being part of a team, create value through their actions, make things happen, and choose self-improvement. And I feel like that make things happen is very similar to that tenacity that you look for as well. It is a catchphrase that we say in meetings that so many members of the center and support team say, and it's a good reminder of, do you make things happen or are you someone that things happen to? Being able to differentiate and work towards choosing self-improvement and then making a difference is huge factors for success. We're also a very system-focused organization. Our checklists and spreadsheets are the butt of many jokes (laughs) through the Mathnasium community. We put systems in our core values as well. The systems that enable efficiency, get better results, and improve over time. And then our goal is a service that fulfills the Mathnasium mission. So just bringing it full circle back to the home office and overall franchise mission. Okay, so that, my friends, is a clear vision. Next bullet point on our list is that a good leader does not rely on authority. So we're going to do a quick vocab lesson. And again, we're going to put a lot of this stuff on our social media because this is going to be a pretty vocab heavy podcast. So I mentioned in the last episode that I do classes with the Harvard Business School online. One of the classes I just finished was leading people. So in that, we talk a lot about the difference between leadership and authority. We're going to do a quick definition. So leadership, as defined by Harvard, is the practice of mobilizing adaptive work. Leadership, it requires creating conditions for people to build their own and others' capacity to make progress on their most difficult challenges and to enable them to thrive in a changing and challenging world. Unlike authority, leadership does not depend on an individual's position within an organization, whereas authority is a formal or informal relationship in which power is entrusted by one party into another in exchange for a service. And those services are giving clear direction, so reducing the ambiguity around roles and presenting a clear vision or mission to provide protection So you can reduce organizational vulnerabilities and eliminate external threats or to present order. So to reduce conflict and maintain cultural norms and provide a sense of stability to an organization. So being a good leader, you don't necessarily need to be relying on a title to be able to do your job. People are following you more by choice than because you've been given a name tag that says that you're their boss. I don't think you can understate the fact that leadership can come from all levels of an organization. So it's not just necessarily that person at the top of the hierarchy. There's a there's a huge difference between being a leader and authority figure. As the leader in your company, it's your job to find the ways to so be how uh, So Libby, how do you handle if someone feels like you're being too authoritative, like especially as a girl, like a lot of times people tend to view what we say as too harsh because they expect us to be a lot more maternal. How do you handle that? I think if you go back to the why of why you're Mm -hmm. making a decision, people will either understand the justification or they won't. And if they don't, you can question why, why Mm -hmm. they're on your team. I, I try to make it really clear what the why is and why if I'm making an organizational change or if I'm enforcing a new policy or things like that, make sure it's really clear to people that this is something that they want in place for their protection, for the good of our students, for the good of the brand. 
And if it's really something that someone's going to like fall on their sword over, I'll take it with a grain of salt. But at the end of the day, I, I don't make rules for the sake of making rules. What about you, Nikki? Have you have you been met with resistance? And if so, how do you politically well, work through that? I think the resistance that I have the most trouble with is if I get the sense that people are just assuming I just kind of made something up or like have no idea what I'm talking about. I try to go off of my experience. It's been a couple years since I've been like in the weeds of being in the center. If it's something that I'm not as familiar with, then I will pull somebody in to give feedback when possible. A lot of times there's just situations that we're in where decisions need to be made really, really quickly. And so throwing things back and forth for draft and for comment and for input, like it just slows things down and it would just ultimately cause more problems to have delayed the timeline than to just move forward. There's a lot of times where we will put together a committee and people will work together and like make developments and make changes. If someone really isn't trusting that I have the best interest at heart, then we'll try and work with them individually to answer their questions. But at some point... I mean, trust that I follow the company values. And if we can't get to that place, then maybe there's something else going on. We both come from experience. And if there's a change happening to our organization, it's very much warranted. And I don't think we make these decisions lightly. So if you're experiencing that in your organization, and if this is a relatable issue to you, I would encourage you to look inward first to see why you might be being met with resistance. Because if it's plain sexism, then you have the wrong people on your team. But also make sure that you're providing as much of a full picture to your team as possible if you're if you're going to make a change. Okay, awesome. So that is a great leader does not mm-hmm. rely on authority. Moving forward, our fourth bullet point was that great leaders establish a connection with yeah, their team. And this is really interesting. When I first got promoted, I read a book. It's really long. It's called From Bud to Boss Training because I was in the unique situation where I was promoted that above people that were my peers. So this book was perfect. It talks about different phases of groups and they're the storming, forming, and the norming phases. This is when anything new happens to a group. So it could be a new leader or just a new team member. And the groups will enter the storming phase where they're all trying to figure out like, okay, what's my role here? How are things going to work together? Then the dust starts to settle and they're in the forming phase. And then they get into the norming where everything's just kind of settled out. People know their roles. They know the best ways to communicate. This is apparently a big study on group development. And so it's called Tuckman Stages of group development. And there's actually a fourth phase where they get to performing. And so I feel like working hard to establish a connection with your team members, but then also between the team members and also any other teams that have to work together can help people through these phases faster. In any organization, there are bonds of trust that you are going to form between various players. There are two different ways you can break down those bonds of trust. There's the vertical, where there's a vertical hierarchy. The most senior authority figures in the organization are going to be the ones that really dictate what the procedures and the structures and the processes are. And then there's also the horizontal bonds of trust. 
which are going to be amongst your peers and your colleagues. And that's really also known as social capital. These members of your organization, they're going to be tied by shared experiences, identifications, traditions, values, and a shared sense of purpose. So if you're a new leader in an organization, so if you're coming in, either you're an external hire, or let's say you bought a resale and you were in my position, if you're a new leader in an organization, it's really important that you identify what that web within your organization is. It's important for you to start identifying those key players, and that's where that entrance interview can come into play. It's also important, in addition to identifying what the web is, you're going to want to identify what people's relationship to you is going to be. So whenever there's a change coming or someone breaking the status quo, there's three main parties that erupt. There's going to be your allies. Your allies are the people who are going to agree with you and be on board for whatever change is coming. There's going to be the uncommitted. So they're the people that are going to be inconvenienced by the fact that you're changing the status quo, but they don't really have enough skin in the game to really fight that battle. And then there's going to be the dissenters and they're going to be the ones that outright oppose whatever change is happening. And they're going to blatantly fight you on the change and they're going to push for the fact that it doesn't need to happen. So it's important that you identify that within that social web that your, your team has, the vertical and the horizontal bonds of trust, who agrees with you and who doesn't and who doesn't care enough to really have a say and they're just going to kind of follow the group choice because you're going to want to you're going to want to diffuse some some potential bombs in your organization because there'd be nothing worse than if you were a new franchise owner and there's a center director in place and you're like hey guys here's the new dress code and then the center director is standing beside you and they're just like we're not doing that you guys no no new dress code it doesn't it doesn't matter so it's important that before you start announcing what things are going to happen, that you identify where people stand. So that way you have the optimal chance of being successful the first go around whenever you implement a change. Another important thing, Nikki, are you familiar with love languages? Is that something that you've discussed either with your husband or within like a work setting? Have you talked about the five love I mean, languages I know before? what they are, mostly in relation to Myers-Briggs, because the Myers-Briggs tend to gravitate towards different love languages, but not workplace love languages. So workplace love languages, they're honestly <laughs> identical. The only one that like I feel gross, I feel gross saying it is the physical touch one. There's five love languages. If you're not familiar with them, there's a lot of free tests online. I highly recommend figuring out what your love language is, senior leadership in your organization, the workplace love languages, identifying what they are. Typically, you can do a gut check and figure it out. I could tell you what all of my center directors, all of my ACDs, and all my lead instructors, I could tell you what their love language is just off of interactions with them. But what the five workplace love languages are, one, you got quality time. So it's the employee that wants your like undivided attention. They want the one-on-one activities. So like whether that's like the group bonding dinners, or they're the ones that want to hold you after a center close just to have a meaningful, heartfelt conversation, not about work. They just want that FaceTime with you. Two is gifts. So that's that person that like, if they do a great job, they want to see that bonus. So show me the money that are you're buying them dinner, like that kind of thing. So it's the different ways that you can monetarily show your appreciation for that member of your organization. Three is words of affirmation. This one's mine. This is my love language. So it's giving all those compliments and making sure that people like you're outright saying that you recognize what they do for you and what they do in your organization. I know my big thing that kind of goes along the words of affirmation is that I like awards. I like being able to say stuff like we're a top 10 owner. 
that makes me work hard 365 days a year. For, again, I feel gross saying it, but physical touch. So that's going to be more like the high five. Good example. The kid does an awesome on a page and you give them that high five. If you look at like half of our marketing photos, half of our marketing photos have like a high five or of some sort going on or like a fist bump. That is physical touch as a workplace love language. And the number five is acts of service. So this is the person who, if they have a lot on their plate and you do things that show that you're trying to help ease that burden for them and take some of the responsibility from them because you know that they they have a lot going on do you know which one you would be um did any of those speak to you I think because like I feel like my time is so valuable that people spending time with me is huge so just being able to sit and have conversations regularly once a week I really appreciate. I'm the friend that calls. I'm a really bad texter. I just pick up the phone and call. <laughs> so the quality time in the conversation is definitely one that works for me. But I can think back to a couple times when I was assuming that like my love language was the right way to show appreciation for someone else. And they did not feel as appreciated. I guess I always default to like giving the words of affirmation because one thing I learned from the radical candor was to praise publicly and privately. So if you're just saying things in the team meeting, are you saying that for the team or are you saying it for the individual? So you really want to do both. Awesome. So you guys, that is establishing a connection. Fifth bullet point, second to last, we're almost there. And I'm giving this one entirely to Nikki. A good leader is someone who empowers and enables a team. Yeah, to get this is another one where I get to go through of... Um, my mistakes. I think this has like happened ever since I was young. I'm like an over helper. A lot of times, like if somebody is coming to me with something wrong, I'm immediately like, okay, how are going to, how are we going to fix it? And a lot of times it's not like, how are we going to fix it? It's how am I going to fix it? Because I just want to take care of it for them. A lot of times that's not what people need. A lot of times they just really need to maybe just have somebody to talk to or maybe just have someone to sit quietly with them. And so I overhelp. Even like if somebody is struggling with a new responsibility because they've recently been promoted or they're recently a new team member, my reaction is just, oh, here, like I'll do it for you. Don't worry about it. It's okay. And that is not a really constructive and long-term solution. The other side of that is where I am getting frustrated because someone's not doing something right. I would over nitpick and over micromanage and through multiple employees leaving through years. I mean, this is also of like my role as center director. So having members of the instruction team leave. I got to a point where I don't micromanage as much. I feel like saying this and like knowing our teams are listening. I really want everyone to know, like, I am not perfect. Like, this is all a practice. And I want everyone to help me with this practice. <laughs> I think I need to give that disclaimer. But one solution I found for my like type A perfectionist micromanagement was to start asking myself, is it different or is it wrong? It was almost like a yoga or like meditation practice for me. So before I would go correct someone, I would literally stop, take a breath, ask myself, is it different or is it wrong? And then if it was different, I would just let the person go because they just needed to learn by doing. And if it was wrong, then I would go in and correct them. 
and work with them. And those that were doing things differently, but it maybe wasn't as efficient, I would slowly work to correct them over time. And so I really had to learn to pick my battles. And so sometimes I really just had to let the Wookiee win. We had to get a Star Wars pun in there somewhere for May the 4th. <laughs> I I like that. And I knowing that there's people outside of our organization who are maybe newer to Mathnasium or they have a shorter time in a role like ours, I want to highlight something you said just so that way it doesn't go miss that you said you correct them over time that can be a long game that can be months I had an ACD who I'm so proud is the center director of our number two location now but he he took five years I'm not kidding it took five years for him to get to the point that he can effectively do things the way that I want to see a center director do them but I knew he had the potential So he spent five years working up the ladder, spent like three years as an ACD. And now I could not be more proud to call him the center director of our number two center in our portfolio. But it is a long game. And if you are in Mathnasium for the long haul, this wasn't just a quick flip investment for you. And you see yourself being a franchise owner for years to come. Investing in your people in that way, while it's not fun in the short term. In the long term, I have an incredible employee who's been with us for almost seven years now. He's incredibly effective at what he does. Making those investments and having patience with your team and understanding that some learning curves take a good chunk of time, but it is so, so worth it. It makes you a better employer. And don't be that person that thinks that you're going to spend all this time investing in them. And then you're giving them the toolbox to leave because you've built that relationship and you reap what you I really like how you said investment because it's really two resources there. Like I understand it's both like time and money. And so it's, that is like one thing that we've been able to figure out. It's really not a luxury of being an MCO. It is a survival. You have to have a bench. You have to have these other positions. I would just recommend to all the other leaders, all the other franchisees out there to figure out the best way you can to have any sort of bench or any sort of career path within your organization. Big or small, people are really going to appreciate it. And it allows you to really help your team members realize their talents and you be able to cultivate the best out of the individuals for themselves and for them to contribute to your team too. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be moving up vertically. Like Mm -hmm. these can be lateral shifts in responsibility. So you could hire the really awesome, really fun high schooler who maybe that high schooler, you hired them as a tutor and they want more and they want more responsibility and they want to develop their talents because they're a young person in this world and they want to get to explore a different part of the field that they're in. I know for me, I let my high schoolers take on stuff if they want to be involved in the social media, if they want to be involved in content creation, if they want to be involved in doing Mm -hmm. events like going to the schools or doing the fun runs, anything like that, that's something that helps them build their resume. And it helps me with retention because they're not going to be like, "Mm, it's summer, I want to stop. I'm going to take the summer off and then I won't reapply and I won't take my job back. I'm just going to go work at 
the fast food joint down the street that also hires people my age, that kind of thing. Last piece of being a great leader, bullet point number six, we're in the home stretch, you guys, technical knowledge. And this is the one that Nikki, uh, Nikki and I were going over notes before we started recording. And Nikki's yeah. like, we're going to argue. <laughs> I'm like, are we? <laughs> Are we going to argue over technical knowledge? My hope, I'll speak for me because apparently me and Nikki don't agree on this. I am hoping, my hope for you, speaking to Mathnasium leaders, is that if you are in a position of authority, that you have the knowledge and the expertise for the job. I'm hoping you have a decent grasp of the responsibilities of your subordinates because I think it's an important part of being able to hold someone accountable is to really understand what they do. My example for this, and again, <laughs> Nikki, you are welcome to disagree. Mathnasium, as a franchise, we have a very particular methodology with mm-hmm. which we, we teach our students. It is my belief that if you are the leader, if you're the center director, if you're the franchisee, you should be responsible for knowing what that methodology is and knowing how to implement it yourself. Because if you don't know, how are you supposed to properly hold your team accountable? Some technical knowledge that I would hope that someone in a leadership position within our franchise elites would be is one, understanding the franchise structure. So understanding like what your franchisor does for you versus what you are responsible for as the franchisee or the center director. I'd like to think you understand Mathnasium and like our product really well. So understanding the workflow of the assessment and generating a learning plan now, and what those lessons look like. Are you expecting I you know the methodology. someone to sit down and teach? Okay. Okay. So maybe we don't disagree. No. <laughs> okay. No. The methodology though. But I hope you understand the methodology. Like I would hope that you know the math and the exam way to teach one plus two plus three plus four plus five plus six plus seven plus eight plus nine plus ten. Because there's a way that we teach it. Or half of half of an odd number or 99 plus 99 plus 99 or 7% of 250. There are mathnasium ways to teach problems. I would hope that if you're in a position of leadership, you would understand those concepts. And that's what okay. I consider like technical knowledge. Okay. So we, I, I know they listen. So I'm going to use our, our district managers as an example. They do not have mathnasium background. They should not be sitting down and teaching kids. They can recognize now at this point, like, oh, wait, hold on. Like that instruction doesn't quite seem like it's going right. But I am thankful that they have a different background and different experience that they can bring to the table. And I'm also thankful that they couldn't run a center if they had to. I think it was a crutch that like when I first started, I had center directors as my direct reports that it was just like, a, oh, whatever. Like, I'll just run the center. It's fine. Like, that's not a sustainable solution. So working yeah. on the center versus in the center. So you think having technical knowledge prevents them from working on the business versus in the business? I, I think there is like a line for the technical knowledge. So like technical mathnasium knowledge. Like if we're te- talking technical business knowledge, that's a different story. It's just a different perspective, too. It's not like you're always doing the same thing over and over. There's a story that I like to tell. The Christmas roast. A family's getting ready for Christmas dinner. The mom is is prepping the roast. She cuts it in half and puts it in the pan and puts it in the oven. The child is like, well, why did you cut it in half? Why did you do that to prep this? And the mom says, oh, I, I don't know. We've just always done it that way. And so then eventually, like, the grandparents come over 
And so they're all sitting down and they're eating dinner. And the child asks, like, why, why do you cut the roast in half? Mom said, it's because you do it like this. And the grandparents explained, oh, well, we didn't have a pan big enough. So we had to cut it in half. <laughs> so if you're like only with mathnasium, you only get that one perspective and you get stuck with the like, oh, well, we've just always done it like this. Having different types yeah. of technical experience and keeping different perspectives ultimately helps everybody grow. I agree. It's a healthy amount of challenge to mm -hmm. a established Yeah. Country. And a healthy line it's to technical good. knowledge. So you don't get sucked in mm -hmm. to running a center when there are tons of other centers and tons of other people that need your help and need your brain. Awesome. In summary, a formula for a good leader is effective communication. So Nikki and I talked about doing that entrance interview. If you're coming into an established team and really getting to know who your key players are, it's also doing ongoing one-on-ones with your direct reports to really get, get a pulse for how they're doing and how your organization is doing. Number two was to have a clear vision for Lossing Enterprises, that's Target 83. And then for Temple Ventures, that's your team's core values. Number three was to not rely on your authority. So there's a difference between authority and leadership. So make sure that you, you distinguish yourself as both the authority figure and the leader that people want to be led by. Number four was to establish a connection. I talked about the different hierarchies and the different horizontal and vertical bonds of trust. I also mentioned mm -hmm. the five workplace love languages. Number five, this one was all Nikki. So empowering and enabling your team to get the job done. So whether that's a version of micromanaging or helping people explore their own talents and enabling them to get the job done because ultimately you reap what you sow. And then last, it was technical knowledge. So being knowledgeable enough to be an effective and entrusted leader, but not being too knowledgeable that you are taking things back off of people's plates. was episode two, the fundamentals of new leadership. That's all the content we have for today. We're trying to keep this podcast to a digestible length because we want it to be enough that we're hitting you guys with some really great content, but not so long that you guys <laughs> can't reasonably listen the whole way through. Whenever we, we started brainstorming the podcast, we, we had determined that 30 minutes would be like a good length for us to go for. But then we, we were talking and we think that it'd be a good idea to crowdsource our content and to really know what you guys want to hear us talking about. So we wanted to start adding in a question and answer section into the podcast. But then in that process, we also talked about the fact that there's some people that are like total experts and are doing mm -hmm. some mind-blowingly awesome things in the franchise. And we thought it'd be fun to bring in other franchisees or people in the franchise that we really appreciate what they do and have them come on for like an interview spot. So I think what we're going to do going forward and possibly in episode three is that we're going to do 45 minutes to an hour and then break it up into thirds. So one third, me and Nikki talking about content like we did today. One third, me and Nikki interviewing an awesome person that we think you should be aware of within the franchise. And then one third ish doing question and answer. And we created a survey that I will link and pin on our social media for you guys to be able to submit content requests or questions yeah. that you want us to address. So I feel like we've mentioned it a couple times. Moral of the story, follow us on social media. So there's a, a lot of extra content that we will be adding there. We are at Order of Operations podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
And that is everything for today. Enjoy May the 4th. As always, PEMDAS podcast every Monday. Download and subscribe. Thanks, guys. Yay!